we had a tornado warning and producer Ben and my wife both came down here to the basement office and we just hunkered down here for like two hours and it was pretty wicked. I'm looking at the camera to make sure everything's on screen and the daggone thing caught fire and, and almost burned my hand really bad. Welcome, everybody, to the Survival Show podcast with David and me, Craig, where it's our job to take you step-by-step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster, and show you how to use the lessons you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. So, what's up, David? Hey, man. Yeah, so we are shipping... Tiny survival guides and gear. That's exciting because last time, last week, we talked about how the Kickstarter stuff all shipped. It has been raining forever here again. So we're going to be talking about fire today, guys, right? So this is a good time to go out and practice your fire making skills (laughs) because it is wet out. But how about you, Craig? How are you doing today? Doing well. Doing well. Um, this stuff's getting pretty prevalent on my mind lately. I've got a good friend that uh, was smack dab in the middle of all the tornadoes in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, lost a good portion of the roof of his house. Uh, he happens to be um, a fairly significant person within public works of Dayton, Ohio. So last time I talked to him, he'd been up for almost two days without any sleep trying to get everybody taken care of. So um, yeah, it's been kind of an epic time for him, and I know he's a big listener of the podcast, so you know who you are. We appreciate you thinking about you, buddy, so stay strong for us. And we are with all you guys that are being affected by this. Actually, last night, Craig, interestingly, we rarely get tornado watches alone warnings here, because I, I believe a, a warning is when there's significant atmospheric activity and uh, there's been some sightings but we actually had a warning here and you know where I live I, I am tucked right into the side of a mountain east facing here but we had a tornado warning and Ben producer Ben and my wife both came down here to the to the basement office and we just hunkered down here for like two hours and it was pretty wicked but mm-hmm. um, you know nothing really transpired things got washed out but none of the trees that are kind of dead behind the house that I need to take the chainsaw to fell in the house. But I have been thinking about all the folks that are affected by all this really turbulent weather. Mm-hmm. So we are with you guys. So guys, our mission today is to help you progressively increase your survival IQ so you leave out of here better prepared at the end of the show than you were at the beginning. So coming up, this is part two of two podcasts on fire. Everybody loves fire. And just for your reference... If you have your tiny survival guide, you can kind of follow along with a lot of the topics we're talking about today in section I. So what we're going to do today, we are going to recap last time just to get you guys up to speed. Craig's really good at this. We'll give him, let's just say, a minute and a half to do that. Then we're going to talk about some modern fuel sources that picks up from where where we left off last time. Then we're going to talk about some primitive fire making methods hand drill fire plow bow drill whatever else craig comes up with then we're going to do a Q&A with craig and i'm going to throw 16 fire hacks at him and see what he thinks of them and we're going to talk through some fire kits and these again are in the tiny survival guide uh, and we're going to add a few items and we're going to leave out of here with some action steps so craig 
what else do you have before we get into this? Um, just keep in mind, guys, I think it's pretty obvious that we've got to do everything we can to make this a viable venture, continue to do the podcast. And it's been successful so far because of you guys. We really appreciate that. Check us out over at the survivalshow.com. Incredible amounts of information coming there. There's any number of ways that you can support us. You can get the tiny survival guides. You can get anything from tiny survival gear to sharpeners to guides to cards and all that kind of good stuff. And on Anchor, we now have the option where you can just support the podcast just outright. So thank you for all of you who have been doing that. It's just we're seeing you, we're hearing you, and we know what kind of things that are uh, affecting you and we really appreciate it. We want to continue to do what we can do. And, you know, our, our goal is always to make a win-win out of everything. So if you do that for us, then we can continue to provide the content that we think is, is quality content and keep churning it out for you. So yeah, thank you. All right, man. So you're ready to get into this fire stuff. Let's do it. Okay, Craig, as we get going here, you want to go ahead. Let's see how you can do with this because it was kind of a surprise because I'll, I'll let you guys know what happened. We, we just plain ran out of time last time. So what we did is we decided to continue the conversation while it's all fresh. And we just came up with an impromptu outline and Craig, from his memory and his wisdom and from decades of experience, he is going to recap what we talked about in an hour last time in about a minute and a half. Ready, set, go, Craig. So we talked about, yeah, let's see if I can do this. I got it. So we talked about the fundamentals of fire, you all, which is basically understanding the fire triangle. You need fuel source, ignition source, and you need oxygen. We then went into a pretty detailed discussion on uh, your ignition sources. Uh, We talked about some primary things that we carry with us, like lighters and ferro rods. We talked about fuel sources pretty pretty in-depth. And when we talked about those fuel sources, we primarily talked about natural fuel sources, the things that you bring out of your environment and you utilize. And then we did talk about some oxygen management things as far as teepee fires, whether it's a log cabin fire or it's what is lovingly referred to by people all over the world, the Craig Cottle Fire Method. And so we love that, which we didn't bring up the tremble method of fire warming. I'll bring that up today. Okay, cool. Yeah, got to talk about that for my boy, Tracy. So, um, uh, yeah, that's primarily what we discussed in the last one. We were getting ready to start talking about modern tools, which we talked briefly, and then we were going to dig into modern fuel sources, which is what we're going to start out with today because we did not get that the last time. So, yeah. All right. Let's get into these modern fuel sources. And you've got one here, Fast Fire. And I learned about Fast Fire from you, Craig, because I was most familiar with Wet Fire. You want to take people through those and explain a little bit what they are and what the advantage is of those guys. Fast Fire, guys, is until something else comes up, I I just think it's the bomb diggity. Uh, It's not because I make any money selling this stuff i don't i wish i did because i there you know it's easy to make a sale on something that i know works under extreme conditions and fast fire does it it, you can have it sitting in a bucket of water for a week of sundays and pull it out and it's still going to work so fast fire is a material made by socoa 
Socoa is a great company. Uh, I've chatted with those guys. I've worked with those guys. They're, they're really good people. And this product was made a long time ago, and it's now hitting the civilian market really hard and heavy and has been for the last decade. But uh, it's a it's a fuel cube, and you pull it out. And a lot of people are familiar with wet fire. Uh, I, I did a side-by study with fast fire, wet fire, cotton balls of Vaseline, and all sorts of other fire fuel sources. And fast fire just continually over and over and over and over again came out on top. And so that's what I tell all of our people to get and put in their kits. Uh, I did a video yesterday yet again of another fire hack, if you will, uh, utilizing fast fire because it's just so easy to utilize. Uh, It works when it's wet. It works when it's windy. It packs up slightly. It takes up very little space in your pack or your kit or whatever. And so I'm just a huge fan of fast fire. So is it is it reusable? Does it float? Like what? Yes. How do you use it? Is it one of those white crystalline that you kind of like yeah. grind up the powder a little bit? Yeah, you can. It it is a it's a really and I don't know what the what the term would be to call it because it's not hard. It's really super soft. It's almost feels like a, a, a I almost said mushroom. It almost feels like a marshmallow. I mean, it's really lightweight. Oh, okay. You can scrape off as much as you want to utilize. And or you can light it whole. I don't recommend that because you'll waste it. But even if you light it whole, you can blow it out and then reuse it if that's what you want to do. But uh, I've lit this stuff on fire and pouring down rain and just sit and watched it burn. I mean, it's it's just incredible. Stuff's incredible. Good stuff. And I am not familiar with it. I got to get some of that and just test it out here, dude. <laughs> dude, fix yourself. <laughs> Gosh. All right. So I fixed myself with the next one, Craig. Cotton balls and Vaseline. Uh, my preferred fire extender is a triple antibiotic. So you want to talk through cotton balls and those sorts of things. And maybe we didn't talk about this last time. Talk about fire extenders. So uh, anything that when you light it, it helps the fire tender that you're lighting to last longer than let's say a cotton ball by itself is what we would call uh, an extender. And so when you apply Vaseline to cotton balls, it is serving as both a fuel source because it, it can burn uh, on its own, but in concert with cotton balls, it makes an incredibly useful tender under extreme conditions. If, and this is huge, if it stays dry as soon as cotton gets wet, it's going to hold that moisture, and this will not work worth a hill of beans. So make sure that if you're going to carry cotton balls and Vaseline, you carry it in a waterproof container for two reasons. One, you don't want it to get wet. And two, it's notorious for melting and coming out and bleeding into your pack. And so you don't want that to happen either. But, uh, yeah, I, the cotton balls and Vaseline is a great thing. It's you, you know, you can utilize it for first aid. Again, thinking about fast fire, you can't really utilize it for first aid, but you could utilize cotton balls and antibiotic ointment as a first aid use. So you got multiple uses there. So, yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. And the thing I like about it, guys, is it's something that most of us already have. So you probably got some Vaseline or petroleum jelly or some triple antibiotic already around. So it's not it's not something that you have to go out and buy. So instead of maybe spending, you know, five to ten or fifteen dollars on some other stuff, you've already got the stuff in your house. If you got a little Ziploc bag, double Ziploc it and you can throw it in your pack today. And then tomorrow you can go out and get yourself some fast fire 
and try out Craig, try it Craig's way. Craig, I want to talk about, since we're on it, kind of on it, two natural sources of fire extenders, fatwood and spruce resin. We talked a little bit about fatwood last time. For the folks that did not hear that, you want to talk a little bit through fatwood and talk about spruce or pine resin? Um, These are the resins that are in these conifer trees, and there's some in uh, birches as well. Mm -hmm. What what you can utilize there is a basically a fire extender that occurs naturally in the environment. So this resin is found in trees, primarily in the lower portion of the trees, and it's in the lower portion of the trees simply because of gravity pulls it down to the basic portion of the stump as well as into the root system. So you can shave off or cut off portions of fatwood off of a pine tree, spruce tree, uh, cedar, for example, and they're going to have concentrated resin in them that's going to work as a super uh, fuel source, but particularly a fuel source that has an extender on it that's naturally, mm-hmm. naturally Craig, occurring. You just, you just mentioned something that I'm really glad you did because I last time I did remember it and I forgot to bring it back up. And that is birch bark. Where I live, we do have quite a few birches, although on our particular mountains, they're a bit in decline. But birch huh. is, okay. uh, you know what? I, I don't know. I'm actually hmm. not sure. I have not talked to our our local foresters and figured that out. But we have patches where they're healthy. And then largely there's anywhere from five to 10 year downed birch trees in the woods that surround the mountains around my house. Interesting. But hmm. interestingly, what you will notice if you see a downed birch tree, especially white birch, is you'll notice that the last thing that will be left is the bark. And that's because the bark actually has an oil in it that makes, if you've ever heard of a birch bark canoe, uh, if they're done right, it's the bark is waterproof and it lasts for a really long time because the oil acts as a preservative. It is also a fantastic fire starter and fire extender. So anytime I'm in the woods and I see a birch tree and I can peel off a small piece of bark, never ring around a tree ever, don't ever do that, or a downed birch tree and I can just pull some some of that birch bark off, I just throw it in my pocket or my pack and that's always going to be my woodland fire starting uh, source and fire extender. That'll get you a fire really quick. I do have a video up on YouTube that is, it's kind of a hack video, but I'll Basically, all it is, is I'm using birch bark as my tinder, my kindling, and my fuel. Do you have anything to say on birch bark? Do you guys, I don't even, do you have birch down there a lot? No, the only thing we have down here, David, that's even remotely close is is paper birch. Okay. Uh, if, if there's a white birch here, then it's a, it's an ornamental tree in the yard. We won't find, you won't find that in our forest down here. Um, but uh, paper birch occurs river birch paper birch similar mm-hmm. species occurs yep. along the rivers here quite regularly so you can get the same effect it's, it's not as good as the birch that you have up there for fire starting but it it does work pretty well good all right next up is char cloth you want to maybe just step us through flint and steel and then how to make char cloth and why that's why it's actually kind of a cool thing to yeah to have around. if you like i love history and a lot of people enjoy history. So I like uh, implementing when I'm teaching a fire building course. I, I usually don't do this in a survival class because char cloth is, is there as a useful tool. But I think there's just better choices 
when it comes to survival fire starting. But back in the day, uh, frontiersmen and those that had access to steels, particularly a high carbon steel, would strike steel against a piece of flint. And by doing that, basically what you're doing is you're taking a piece of steel, which is actually softer than the flint. The flint is a, has a harder density, and it forces small slivers of steel to come off at a high rate of intensity, which means it heats up and sparks. That's what you're seeing is the sparks. And what people would do back in the day is they would capture those sparks into what is referred to as char cloth, which is really, or charred material. Uh, typically, mm-hmm. we call it char cloth now, but uh, because people today would use old t-shirts, I like to use old flannel shirts, but they uh, they would catch that in punky wood that had been charred. And basically what you do to create char cloth is you take material that is thin and that you can utilize to catch a spark, put it into some sort of container that starves what's inside the container from oxygen. You only allow a a small, very small amount of oxygen into the container and put it into an already uh, burning fire. And what happens is it heats up the material inside the tin uh, intensely, but there's not enough oxygen for it to turn into flame and Uh be consumed. Because if it turns into flame, then it gets consumed. And there's nothing left but ash. And so what this does is, particularly if you take something like a T-shirt, which is what, again, what's often referred to as char cloth, you have a super, basically a really incredibly thin piece of charcoal. That's basically what you have. Mm -hmm. And when you hit it with a spark, then you can hold that spark and then put it into a tinder bundle and create a a flame and get a fire started. So it does what what is called takes a spark, and then that spark just kind of grows as you blow on it, and it gives you actually some time to work with it. And Craig, that's a that's a perfect example too. And I know when we've done our training up here that you've participated in, we've actually let the guys make char cloth with a Altoids tin with a hole in it, and what that hole allows is for it to heat up and for the air that's actually in the tin to exhaust out of it. But because of the heat, no air can get into it. So that's a perfect example of how this fire triangle thing works where you need air, heat, and fuel. So mm-hmm. when you exhaust the air out of it, basically what you're left with is a fuel that is as close as it could possibly be to being turned into a combustible material. And that's, again, that's why charcoal works, right? Charcoal's kind of, you know, traditional charcoal is very similar to this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. All righty. What do we have next? Uh, Jutuan, just because uh, Jutuan is a readily available resource that you can buy in a store. And the reason I do like Jutuan Jutuan is because it is twine. It's a cordage. And so you have the ability to have something that you can utilize to tie something down, build a trap, use Mm -hmm. in first aid. And and then it's an incredibly useful resource for fire building. And you can make a tinder bundle out out of it rather easily. You can also make a tinder bundle out of paracord inner strands too and it works it just it doesn't burn as easily as jutwine and um that that is what i usually take with me when i'm teaching beginners fire building Mm -hmm. because it helps to get people i like to teach people in stages and when i say when i say things like i teach people what i'm saying is this is what you can do to help other people i'm trying to help other people teach others so the listeners here uh, i like to pe- teach people in stages 
if you throw people to the wolves immediately and they fail too much, then they don't have the self-confidence they need. So I like to help build people's self-confidence by giving them something really simple to make fire with, like jute twine. Then I'll make them make a bundle out of natural materials. Then I make a bow drill and, you know, take it in stages. Yep, progressive. Let me mention something else here. There's a product that I've been using actually for a couple of years. And for a while there, when we first released the MSK1 knives, one of the bonus items that we added was a length of survivor cord. It's made by Titan. And what makes this paracord different is that you have the seven inner strands and then you have the outer casing. And, but what they did is they figured out a way to add waxed jute twine inside, as well as a very thin wire and fishing line. So if you like to have paracord around and I do, I, a lot of my shoes and my outdoor boots, I've actually restrung them with Titan paracord. So even if I'm in a really bad pinch, I could take those jute twine strands out of there and still have functional paracord and uh, use that jute for various sorts of things, including fire starting. Craig, anything else on some modern fuel sources that, that you would like to bring up at this particular point? Nothing other than the famous Trimble method of warming your firewood before you utilize it. So if you have a fantastic fire. Okay. Tell us who Trimble is. Who's this Trimble person? (laughs) Actually, this was named after uh, my good friend, Tracy Trimble's dad. Uh, It was something I think that Tracy picked up from his father when he was a young lad. And uh, Tracy's obviously a good friend of mine. And, uh, and he's also an instructor with nature Reliant school and, and co-author, he's the co-author, co-author of, of essential wilderness <laughs> navigation and all that good stuff. But Tracy's just a man's man, in my opinion, he's just a good dude. But uh, good one, dude. Of, one of the things that he started doing when we were teaching a lot of nature Reliant school classes is we'd have a fire. And then you, I noticed he'd start stacking wood up around the fire to basically pre-warm it before he put it in the fire. And I don't know why, you know, campfire, you know, nobody's getting any sleep. Everybody's wore out kind of thing. Uh, I found that hilarious. So we've called it, we've been calling it the Trimble Method ever since. <laughs> Matter of fact, um, I put the Trimble Method, this is, and, and if my publisher is listening to the podcast, then sorry, I tricked you on this one. But uh, in my first book, I wrote a little section on the Trimble Method of Fire Building as an ode to my friend Tracy to make sure that he was entered into the text of the book in a way that only he would understand at the time. And so I got called out by my editor because the editor goes through my books and, you know, picks apart everything that I say. And she, and the editor wrote and said, Craig, I'm trying to research this tremble method that you speak of in your book and I can't find it. And I, <laughs> and I pulled out, well, I'm the expert. It's called the tremble method and it needs to stay in the book. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah, I like, I like that's Tracy. A, he's, he's good. That's people. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Tracy's awesome. Uh, okay. Let's talk. Here's what I like to do, Craig. We did talk about fire lays and how we talked about it. Mm-hmm. The Craig, the Craig Cottle method of fire building. So, uh, hey, let me let me say this real quick because we okay, we've been yeah, saying yeah. that kind of tongue in cheek talking about the Craig Cottle method. The reason I say it that way is that's the way I say it in classes when I'm teaching. But what I'm trying to do, and and I don't think it came out in part one of this, is what I'm trying to do when I say the Craig Cottle method is I also want the Joe Blow method, and I want the 
you know, the Dave Robinson method and the Todd Gibson method. And these are all people that I train with that are friends of mine or that, that I know on social media. I want them and I want you, everybody that's listening to develop your method of fire building and don't, don't fall victim to the dogma of everything. So yeah, critical thinking skills again. Yep. So why don't you just talk about this really simple method quickly and then bring us up to speed a little bit on what we talked about last time as far as fire lays. And what I, what are, where, here's where I want to get to. I just want to talk about this. We, we didn't get to this last time, which is these long log or overnight fire lays that, that people do. Maybe some myths and truths and some practical applications for those. Yeah, so um, fire lays are basically just building a fire raft and a way of building a base for your fire so that when you put that tinder bundle down or you're building your fire, you're not building it on the earth. The reason you're doing that is heat will be conducted out of your tinder bundle into the earth and will basically put your tinder bundle out. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as long fires, what's commonly called a long fire, is basically if, if you're building a survival fire and you want to keep your body warm, then you want a fire that's going to basically be the length of your body at night. And so if you build something like a lean-to shelter, uh, whether it's made out of primitive material, you know, natural materials, or it's a tarp, it doesn't matter, you'll build a fire basically the length of your body. And the thought is that heat coming off of that fire will continue to to put heat off and keep your feet warm at the same time that it keeps your head warm, for example. And so a lot of these have been built in such a way that they, they basically coal and they just, the coals will simmer throughout the night. Basically you put two logs down, uh, put some coals down the length of that log, put another log on. And then what's basically, you're basically creating a, a coal sandwich there, if you will, that continues to help that log smolder and put off just enough heat to keep you alive in a survival situation and should last most of the night. If, if uh, you have the right woods and the right temps and all the things that go along with it. So that would be my first one. You, you want me to get into these others too? Yeah. Are there any myths? Like, I guess when I first got into these, that's long lay thing, I had the impression that, Hey, I was going to build this long fire with some logs stacked on top of each other and they're going to burn down and I'm basically going to sleep comfortably all night. Is that a myth? Yeah. Um, you, you can, I've done it, but you know, I'm here in Kentucky and I know the woods in Pennsylvania are not too much different. It's all Appalachia, but wood doesn't come in a perfect diameter and a perfect length sawed off with a chainsaw like it does in the movies and like it does on Instagram. You know, these Instagram ding-dongs are building these beautiful fires that are just, you know, um, feats of engineering merit rather than a fire, you know, that you don't really have the tools for in a true survival situation. Mm -hmm. So um, building a fire like that, there's going to be spaces where the logs don't lay perfectly on one another. It's rare. You're going to be able to find logs that are all the same size and all that kind of good stuff. But I, I always like to build something like that as best I can. And then I'll have a pile of stuff by my head. And that way laying wherever it is that I'm laying in whatever shelter I have, I can just reach above my head and grab something that I can feed it with, you know, smaller stuff. That's, that's the way I've done it with great success. I grew up, literally spending, you know, lots and lots of time out in the wilderness doing exactly that over and over and over again. Sometimes 
me and my cousin, sometimes me and my dad and my cousin and his, and his dad. I mean, we just, we would stay out and lean to, I mean, this, again, I say this all the time, but this stuff that we call survival now is what I did for fun. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just, you know, existing all night long and staying alive. And I mean, it's no fun if you don't get any sleep. So I would do that and get plenty of sleep and stay warm, even in, you know, single digit temps with no sleeping bag. Yeah. So the bottom line is if you don't, if you're camping, that's a, that's a whole different deal because Mm -hmm. assuming that you have a sufficient sleeping bag to maintain your core temperature, but if you're in a legit survival situation or a training where you're actually putting yourself in, in some managed situations like that, here's what's going to happen. You're going to wake up when you're cold. When you wake up, what Craig's saying is have a pile of sticks and wood right there so, so you can fuel that fire and get a couple more hours sleep. And then when the fire dies down, you're going to wake up again, put a couple more sticks on, and go from there. So, Craig, do you want to get into, you want to talk a little bit about some primitive fire building methods and then get into these 16 fire hacks? Yeah, uh, bow drill, fire or bow drill, hand drill, fire plow. These are all things that if if you want to invest the time and energy, find um, you know you you can use the tiny guide. Uh, it's got a really good in depth step by step method for going through um, bow drill in particular. Uh, it's even better if you can find a teacher that can help you with it. Mm-hmm. Um, if that teacher's on YouTube or if that teacher's in person, e- obviously if it per- if the teacher's in person, it's even better than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there's some value with you, uh, trying to just hack your way through it as best you can and testing and formulating plans to come up with good solutions on any primitive fire building method from a historical perspective. Uh, I think it's worthy of your investment of, of research into seeing what native American people did back before we came into the continent here in, in America. So for example, bow drill fire making is not a fire making method that was broadcast throughout the continent of North America. Uh, there were some natives that utilized it, but there were others that exclusively used hand drill because they had the materials to utilize it. And so, you know, it's, if you're looking at a native American or Aboriginal culture to see what kind of fire building that they utilize, then imitate what was utilized in your area and you'll probably have better success. Uh, case in point, you know, bow drill fire making, hand drill fire making, when most survival classes are taught in the summer, particularly in some place like Kentucky where there's a lot of humidity here, a lot of people will struggle trying to build a bow drill fire in the summertime of Kentucky when it wasn't a method that we utilized in Kentucky in the summertime, you know, uh, very few fires would have been built with a hand drill or a bow drill. Anyway, they might get one started, but then they would do what they could to smolder it and keep it going for long term and just blow fires into flame from coal that was left over from the previous fire. And so, uh, it's not something that they would utilize over and over and over again on a regular basis. So keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, I got to go on a Bushcraft Global trip to uh, Colombia, to the Amazon jungle. And one of the unique things about Joe Flowers, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, go check that podcast out, is that we get to work with a tribe. It's a tribe that has maintained their, their roots, and they do some trainings like this to be able to 
maintain and sustain the culture that they have. And they're actually from Brazil and the government of Brazil has put protections in place so that these tribes can remain uh, largely the way they have always been. So we worked with two guys who came up from Brazil and taught us their ancient methods, which was really cool. And their preferred, this is jungle now, so it's wet and it's humid. Their fire starting method was hand drill. And so they had basically a, a hand drill fire kit. Interestingly, they have a cotton substance. It's very much like cotton. And they have kind of like a hollowed out gourd where they keep that in. So it, it keeps it out of the weather. They keep their kit in a bit of a leather type pouch. And an interesting thing, if you know the Baudrill fire at all, usually put a pie notch in there so that the uh, char can collect and make a coal. They don't do that. They don't do hmm. that. Uh, which which was really interesting. And so what they, they got, where'd the where the char? I mean, the word the dust go to? It, it didn't. It just they had uh, they had carved out the the circular part. And it just it just stayed in there, and it just got hot enough and enough char in there that it formed a small coal, and then they tapped it out into their cotton-like substance and blew it into a flame. Hmm, now, nice. you, yeah. So anyway, it was they, it actually really surprised us, and uh, then we taught them bow drill. So I don't know if they went back to their tribe and they they uh, adopted bow drill or not, but you know they. Making cordage isn't ridiculously hard in a jungle because the resources, there's so many resources, but they had never seen Bodril before. So that gets back to your, yeah, that gets like back to, to that point. point. And I think mm-hmm. it's just, and I, there is an acronym somewhere, and I cannot remember for the life of me what it is, but one of the last points of the acronym is be like the natives. Mm-hmm. which is just, uh, I mean, it's an old military acronym and I can't remember what it is right now. Uh, I haven't seen it in a long time, but, but, understanding history is a very valuable thing because today in our modern society, we just, we really have no idea how to make our way in the wilderness unless you've got somebody that spends a lot of time there. And so understanding how people did it back then, because they had to by their skin of their chin (laughs) had to be uh, as efficient as possible. They just didn't have time to fool around and play with stuff. So, you know, knowing that kind of thing is important. So that was a really cool trip. And I did a, yeah, I did a, I did a six part video series. So if anybody's interested in that, they can go to ultimate survival tips and I have a playlist called fun survival adventures. And there's, I think that's episode two from the jungle bushcraft series where people can actually see their hand drill kit and see how that all looked and how it all worked. So anything else on primitive fire building that you would want to talk about, Craig? I'm just sitting here thinking, I don't know if it's still available or not, but I had a, an instructor of mine, Tom Laskowski from Midwest Native Skills Institute. I think he's in Ohio. He put out a video on nothing but primitive fire starting skills. There's like 50 different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't even know if that's still out there or maybe he's put it into YouTube now. It was a DVD back then. This is, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago. Gotcha. Um, and, and what I mean is that he's probably one of the better ones I've seen in a long time that demonstrate everything that I've seen primitive. He does it. And it, it's pretty interesting to watch. Hmm. 
Another, yeah, just off of that note, and then we'll move on to some other stuff here. While we were in the jungle, we actually tried to do a fire plow there. No with success bamboo. at all. With bamboo? Yeah, or with bamboo. It? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we had no success. And I, I just think it was, I think it was too humid. Was the, na- um, was the native people doing it and they couldn't do it either? No, they were not. They were, they just didn't, they didn't ever did it. Like, that's yeah. not how they do it. Yep. Yeah. So it that's... gets kind of back to your, like, you know, do what, uh, do what the mm-hmm. homeboys do, right? Yeah, exactly. Seriously. I mean, it's, they, their life depends upon that sort of stuff. So pay attention to what they do and then imitate it. All righty. This is the time I've been waiting for, Craig. This was kind of a surprise that we're thrown into the podcast. So Craig has no idea. I came up with 16 or so. We'll probably shoot for maybe 10 fire hacks. And I'm going to maybe throw those at you, Craig, and see what you have to say. Uh, do you have anything to you say like about doing fire this, don't you? hacks? I, you I like, do. You I do. Like I surprises, do. don't you? Okay. <laughs> That's fine. I enjoy it too. I'm having fun. I'm with just it. I'm just proving to myself and you and everybody that you actually are entertaining. Quite contrary to what you've said before. <laughs> All right. So first fire hack for you, Craig, to uh, kind of deconstruct is number one is chocolate and aluminum. This is a soda or beer can hack. So do you know what I'm talking about here? Yeah. And I, I'll tell you what, I think this is so stupid that I haven't even <laughs> looked to see what it's all about, but go ahead and tell me what it's all about. I, well, I, no, I think this is, I think what this is about is I think they're using chocolate to polish the bottom of an aluminum can and make yeah. a parabolic lens. Yeah, I get that. I get using the can. We talked about parabolic lenses. When was that? Mm-hmm. That wasn't, was it two shows ago? Anyway. Oh talk- yeah. Yeah. That, that was, that was the show that we did on survival gimmicks. Yep. Oh yeah. On gimmicks. So yeah, using a parabolic lens, I get, you're going to find a can almost anywhere on planet earth anymore. It's sad, but mm-hmm. it's true. So being able to polish one up and utilizing that lens to concentrate a heat source and, and get a piece of char going or small fine material going, I think is a good idea. I don't understand why you've got to use chocolate instead of, you know, <laughs> a rock, a stick or uh, sand or your knife or the zipper on your jacket or whatever that you might have. Um, better yet, if you're going to pack chocolate for the sake of, you know, I guess, I guess what they're saying is they're packing chocolate just for the fun of it. Right. And then they, use I think it so. This. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Stupid. Just carry it. Well, doesn't ever, doesn't everybody pack chocolate, especially. In the I know summertime. you do. I know how <laughs> freaky you are about your silly chocolate, but uh, no, I don't pack chocolate. <laughs> So everybody listening, David is a freak about his chocolate. Just so you know, it's, it's, it's over the top. <laughs> Dark chocolate specifically. And if yeah. it has espresso beans in it, all the better. Oh all right. Gosh. Next survival <laughs> hack, duct tape. You may know. Oh, I like duct tape. Just yeah, like I dig okay, duct tape. Yeah. yeah, because it has so many uses. Uh, I'm a big fan of duct tape. You can shred it and make a really nice tender bundle out of it. Uh, so yeah, I'm a big fan of duct tape. Next. Oh, wow. Okay, this one is char cloth and a flashlight. Um, or are they using the parabolic lens in the same way again? I do believe yeah. so, yep. Yeah. So if you have a flashlight, there's a parabolic lens. That's what shines the light and forces it out from your light into the source that you're trying to to uh, illuminate. Uh, you can utilize it the same way, I think. Um, well... I won't say that, but but uh, the issue for these is that you've got to come up with a solution because basically the way a parabolic lens happens is that uh, the lens itself catches all this heat and light, 
and then it concentrates it back out to one point. And the best way I can come up with to describe this for those of you who can't see what I'm describing is to think about a satellite, how it has a satellite. And then when satellites were first being utilized, there would be this one arm that was out in the center of the satellite. And basically what it was doing was capturing the signal from the satellite technology in space and putting it into the end cap of the satellite, and then that information was being transferred into your home. Parabolic lens works the same way. If you come out a few inches right out in front of the lens in the center of it, the heat is going to be concentrated right there. And so you can use a piece of char cloth and get it ignited. Really funny story. I was making a YouTube video on this one time, and I was watch. I, I had... I was holding a parabolic lens, much like what we're describing. I can't even remember what I utilized. It was a can of some sort that I'd found in the woods and had some char cloth with me. So I was just making an impromptu video and I hold it up. And again, I've done this before with knives too, but uh, I'm looking at the camera to make sure everything's on screen and the daggone thing caught fire and and almost burned my hand really bad. Because it works so well. I mean, it literally took about a second and a half hmm. to get it going. So, yeah, works good. <laughs> Too good. So, so, basically, what you're talking about is uh, you, you need to get that char cloth or whatever you want to ignite at kind of like a focal point where the mm-hmm. where that light is is coming into the parabolic lens and then reflecting off into a concentrated point to uh Right. And I'm sure there's probably some term for that. I don't know. I don't know what it is, though. What that focal point is focal point. The name of that, you think? I don't know. I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know what the term for that is. Somebody that's smarter than me will come up with that. All right. Gum wrapper and a battery. (laughs) Okay. Are you holding back here? (laughs) Don't hold back. I'm trying. I'm trying. This is why we've all come to listen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it works. I mean, it really works. Um, these hacks here, he, okay. So here it is. I I can, I can get in my truck and I can drive to my, in my truck to the grocery store, or I can get on one leg and hop down the road to the grocery store. And that's cool and all I can do that. But just because I can hop all the way to the grocery store on one leg, uh, holding a live chicken in my right hand does not mean I should do that. That's cool. It will bring me a lot of attention. People will look at me and go, look, that dude's hopping down the road on one leg holding a chicken. And it'll bring a lot of attention my way. And it's a hack way of getting to the grocery store. However, it's more efficient to simply just get in my truck and go to the grocery store. You follow my logic? I'm following. I like it. So, yes, you can use a gum wrapper and utilize the innards of your innards as a uh, Appalachian American way of saying the inner portions, just so you know, the innards of your flashlight, the met- metallic parts to create a connection between the battery and create a flame due to the fact that your gum wrapper has aluminum in it and you can utilize that to catch something on fire. Or you can carry a lighter in your pocket. <laughs> so let's expand that out. How about a car battery? Can you utilize hey, that? Yeah, yeah, and I did a video on that too. I mean, if it's if you don't have your go bag in your car for some reason, and you have some some sort of cordage, then you can create sparks. Like, like I carry jumper cables with me. You can attach jumper cables and smack those jumper cables together after they've been attached to the battery and create sparks. 
and utilize those sparks to start a fire. I've done that before just for some of the uh, federal law enforcement that we teach. Gotcha. Okay, next up, you're going to like this one, Dorito chips. Hey, I just wrote about this in Field and Stream the other day. Did you? Yeah, if it's what you have, it is. If if you listen to part one of this is, again, everybody listening, this is part two. But if you listen to part one, David and I had a quick discussion on fire extenders. Um, many of your chips have so much oil in them, they serve as an extender as well. I don't know why you would be carrying chips back into a wilderness area and that's all you have instead of actually carrying some fast fire or some variation of it. But if you find yourself on a picnic and you don't have, um, and I'm speaking from experience on this, (laughs) (laughs) If, if you and your young family are going on a picnic and you're going to grill some things and you forget to bring some fire starting material, you can take some of the chips and use it as a fire extinguisher, a fire extender to get the fire going so you can cook hot dogs for everybody. So nice. I don't, I don't want to be too hard on that because I've actually used that. Nice. All right. So since we're on this whole, uh, f- what, what are those? It's, it's fast food. What is Dorito? What would that, what's that category? It's in junk food, junk food. Okay. Chips. Since, since we're on junk food and chips, this has nothing to do with fire. How about Cheetos for fishing? <laughs> <laughs> really? I've never used them. Do they work? I don't know. So I saw this video once that <laughs> Tim at Everyday Tactical Vids did, and I think he was working with uh, Blade HQ, and they threw him out in this uh, river behind Blade Show, and he caught fish with Cheetos. I just, I just Get wondered. Out of I here. didn't know. Uh, no, I'm joke. texting him right now. <laughs> he texted me the other day. We're going to have him on, right? We are going to have him on. Yep. Okay. Tim's a good dude. Yeah. Tim, shout out to Tim. Go check out Everyday What's Tactical up, Vids. All right, tuna candle. Tuna candle. Okay, so this is a tuna can. All right, so here's what here's what they have. They have a tuna can with three holes in the top, and then they have some sort of a wick coming out of it. So I'm guessing it's like rolled up paper or some sort of huh. uh, fibrous cotton. So they're or using the oil from the from the fish from what's inside the can to provide yes. the basically the the uh, fuel source interesting yep. no i've never done that before yeah cool hack i guess i mean i mean I, th- I think about that from the perspective of uh, you know fire building after disaster readiness more so than a backcountry skill mm-hmm. you know you might have some tuna in the cabinet and you don't have any sort of fire extender for yourself at all to get a fire started and that, that might be useful Gets back to your critical thinking. You could drain the oil out of there and use that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not mm-hmm. bad. All right, orange peels. I've never tried it. Tell me about it. Have you done it? Because I don't know anything about it. Here they're saying dried orange peels specifically. And what does they do? They say in there what is in the orange peel to make it work. Yep, flammable oils in the skin. Mm-hmm. Really? Well, yeah, okay. I have not tried it. That's something Craig's got to do. I like to talk about myself in the third person when I haven't tried something. And I'm not sure how much we did not mention this. <laughs> okay, so they have this dude with his hair on fire. Um, so human hair. I'm just going to say it. Have you ever used human yes. hair to start a fire? Okay. Yeah, my I wife. For the, for those that know me, my wife has beautiful long hair, and uh, we've used her hair a number of times to uh, get fire started. Which might sound crazy to people, but it works. 
Something we did not mention last time, Craig, and I have some here. And for me, it's just batches every once in a while, like once every three years, I will wander into a batch of tinder fungus. Do you have much experience with that? And do you want to explain with to the guys anything that you know about that? Are you talking about the birch tinder or are you talking um, about the black cap fungus, polypores? Uh, I've found various ones and I don't even know what they're called. So there's the oh, chaga, okay. right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Birch, birch trees have a uh, fungus on it that grows exceptionally well. I just texted Tim. <laughs> I said Cheetos <laughs> Cheetos for fish and he said, Bam, yes. <laughs> Tim from Everyday Tactical Vids, check him out. All right. Back to fungus. Yeah, there's a I think it's called black cap polyspore uh mushroom that grows on locust trees here in my okay. neck of the woods. You can scrape the bottom of that and utilize that as a uh a fire tender. Uh, once you have a fire going, you can utilize those because some of those get huge. Uh, I mm-hmm. picked them off of locust trees here, and they're as big as logs, and they burn really hot, which is fantastic. But the birch fungus also has the oils in it, just like you described in part one of this podcast, uh, uh, how useful that is for creating fire. So, yeah, interesting. It's good stuff. All right, steel wool and a 9-volt battery. Stupid. I mean, it works. It's great for science class, but why? And I mean, it's just another one. Why? What are you? What else are you using steel wool for? I do not understand it. Every time I teach at a library program, I teach a lot of library programs here in Kentucky. I'll have somebody that wants to impress me by telling me they carry battery and steel wool for fire building. And I, for the life of me, I, I mean, here, here's the reason I, I think it's stupid because it puts off noxic fumes that's incredibly mm-hmm. harmful to your lungs. I don't know why you would purposely do that. Uh, it's a cool science trick for kids if, to learn fire building, but if those kids are breathing those fumes in, they are causing damage to their lungs. I think that's not smart. Boom. Craig, I, th- I think we nailed the fire hacks. Good job. That was, that okay, was cool. awesome. Hey, fire so what, uh, orange peels. Yeah, I've got to try that. That's one that I don't have any experience whatsoever in. I've got to try that. There are a couple of these I haven't tried. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about um, uh, emergency fire kits now. Yeah. You want to start that out? What do you, I, well, we already talked about in the last one. What do you prefer to everyday carry? Just maybe recap that. So I carry a lighter in my pocket every day. Uh, in my bag that goes in the truck and goes everywhere, everywhere with me that I can take it legally and comfortably. Uh, I have some fast fire in there I, and I have an extra lighter and I have a ferro rod too. And I carry a ferro on my knife sheath as well. Um, that's basically my system for that. As far as fire kit, uh, I have a Magpul uh, envelope bag that has in it fast fires, jute twine, uh, Exotac lighter. It also has a Exotac ferro rod in it. If, if uh, Exotac makes some really cool products, I'm a big fan of theirs. So, um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, as far as a simple fire kit, I mean, we're pretty much the same on that. I mean, lighter, waterproof matches is the only thing that I add to my kit. Uh, Ferro rod with a striker. Again, magnifier or Fresnel lens. I've had marginal success with that, especially in our climate, just because of humidity and the cold. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as uh, tinder sources for everyday carry, 
Want to just recap that? So tender sources are anything that you can carry with you that's going to help get that fire started, a big fast fire, wet fire. Um, there's all kinds of different things that are out there. I, I always just stick with fast fire because it works. Uh, I've got a video on my YouTube channel where I went through about nine or ten of these and showed how they work normally, how they work when they're soaking wet. Um, cotton balls with Vaseline. I know David carries cotton balls with antibiotic ointment, which is another way of you know having things that do more than one, uh, including first aid and fire starting. So yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that you can carry and finding stuff in the environment is going to be key for you as well. Yep. And duct tape, that's always in my packs and that's a great fire extender. Yeah, multi-use right there, my friend. Talk about multi-use duct tape. All right, Craig, I'm going to put you on the spot again, just because Uh everybody enjoys when I do it. Why don't you come up with three action steps for us, three action steps, and uh, let's get out of here. Okay, three steps would be um, put together a kit that stays in your vehicle or at least goes with you when you go somewhere so that you have access to it really quickly. I would put something in your pocket that you carry, whether you feel most comfortable carrying a lighter or a ferro rod or a blast match or whatever it is. Just find something that you can comfortably carry that you literally carry every day and um, put it in your pocket so that you've got it with you. Um, And... Uh, one more action step would be to get out and practice. This whole idea of playing with fire is a bad thing is not a bad thing. I love it when people work with fire. It's probably a better way of saying it, but get out and let your kids practice with you so that they don't practice on their own behind your back when they're not watching, when you're not watching. So I like to use opportunities to train kids on the things they're inquisitive about. And everybody likes making fire. Um, the difficult thing to do is to find a place where you can do such things and not get in trouble. So make sure you study the law and regulations of where you're going to be building fires and make sure you listen to uh, podcast number one. Uh, This is podcast number two because we had a little discussion on safety on fire building in there too. Mm -hmm. That's good. Okay, Craig, why don't you take us out of here then? All right, guys and gals, thanks for joining us. And uh, this was kind of thrown together, but it turned out to be a lot better than I thought it would being thrown together. Um, So appreciate everybody listening. And we threw out a bunch of information there. We'll have links for the products that we mentioned here in the description below. But for now, please consider subscribing. We appreciate every one of you that have already done that. Many thanks for listening. And please share with your friends verbally. Share it on social media that uh, the survival show podcast check us out on anchor there's a good way to support us there as well real easy way to hit a button boom you can send it over to your favorite social media platform and uh, if you enjoy the podcast which obviously we hope you do we put a lot of effort into it give us a five-star rating click the description below for all the links i think i mentioned that but i've got it right in front of me here to say it again so i'll say it again and i think that's it thank you for listening we'll see you next time on the survival show podcast Keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.